Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. An integral part of my, both my wife and I's uh, life. And any chance we get, it's just great to come out here. So I just want to start by saying I just love you. And I just, <laughs> I just feel some of Jesus' heart for you this morning. And I'm hoping that in the short time that I have, I can just communicate a bit of the, the Father heart of God to you. Does that sound good? Yes. Come on, I, it's got to sound good. It's good. Well, um, so yeah, as Pat said, I work with Pat. Again, Pat and Trish came through and such, came to be a part of our lives in such an integral moment where we were going through stuff and they just helped us to get back on just the train tracks of God's goodness in our lives. And we're standing here now saying that we're here. So you've got a great pastor You've got a great leaders, so keep doing the work of the Lord. It's awesome. When Pat asked me to speak um, today, he says, please speak, and what are you going to speak on? I said, oh, I don't know. What are you guys going through as a church? And he says, well, what's the Lord doing in your heart? And then I went, oh, I remembered a moment when I was at South Pine, the last church that we were at, where Pat said, oh, you're preaching this weekend. And I said, on, on what? He's like, do you not listen to God? And I remember going, I don't think I do. And so I heard someone say this line that sometimes when you don't know what to preach, you've got to preach what you've got. So this morning, all I'm going to be doing is preaching on what the Lord's put in my heart and what I believe that he wants to give to you this morning. And I feel so, 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 so strongly that the Holy Spirit is doing a great work amongst his people right now, especially in the West, where what he's doing is he's imparting a fresh vision for the local church. He's imparting a fresh vision of how the gospel intersects a secular society. You know, culture's changing, we know that. Things are changing. It's not popular to be in living in Christendom mentality anymore, yet we find ourselves here, and it becomes overwhelming. My wife and I are beginning to plan a church now, and we engage with 20 to 40-year-olds primarily, who are just saying, what does this thing that you mean, that you're talking about mean? Like, I've got no grid to process what you're talking about. And what it's made me do is it's made me put the mirror up in my life and say, I need to speak with clarity. I need to know what I'm actually on about. It's no longer enough in a way to just say, well, just go read this thing. Society doesn't get that. There's no importance on that. Even 10, 15 years ago when I got saved and I went to Bible college and it was like, well, just go read the Bible. And yes, the Word of God still holds supremely in our life, but we need to meet people where they're at, and we need to start a journey by the way that we live our lives before we tell them just to go to the book. And I love the Bible. I'm going to be preaching from the Bible, so put your stones down. But my message this morning, it's like Presbyterian trained, worked at a Baptist church, pastors of Pentecostal church, who am I? I don't know, I'm confused. This is why I get this generation, I'm mixed up. But my message this morning, I want to look at the ways of Jesus in a secular narrative. And as I said, my wife Casey and I, we're planning a church, we're in the early stages. And as we strategize and as we cry out to God and as we seek to glean from his word what he's saying to us, as we seek to to lean into the Holy Spirit, the people that the Lord is bringing to us are disillusioned, disengaged, disfranchised and distracted. You know, you, you have this vision that you're going to plant a church and the gospel's going to go forth and people are going to come forward, and that's just what we've done. And we're finding that that's not the case. 
I thought I would go from base A to Z straight away with people, yet God is humbling us and saying, Dylan, you are planning a church in a secular age where the narrative of people's lives is not that Jesus is king on the throne, where the authority that they go to is not this book anymore. And I've had to come face to face with myself and say, I can either stand like this and fight for what was a Christendom mentality of living and thinking, or I can hold on to the word of God in my life. I can lean into the spirit of God, but say, Lord, what do you want? My agenda needs to fall where yours needs to go forth. And as we've been doing that, it is so interesting. Last week, here's an example. I was speaking to an old mentor of mine. I hadn't spoken to him for about probably 12 years. And I spoke to him and I said, what's been going on? And he's telling me about what, what's been going on in his life. He's married. He's got heaps of kids, you know, as, as that's what happens in life. And he then said, what are you doing now, Dill? What, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm a youth worker at a school um, for kids who've been kicked out of mainstream school and I'm planning a church. And he's, he looked at me. And he said, he goes, oh, that's, that's nice. And I just went, hold on a minute. You know those moments where you haven't really been listening to someone or picking up on their body language? And, and he said, I said, oh, that's a funny response. Like, like we're, we're on Team Jesus here. Like, we're running the same lane. And he says, oh, well, that's the thing. He said, I've kind of progressed beyond that in the last few years. He says, I've, I've, I've moved on. I'm not, I'm not there anymore. Life's changed. And I just had this moment where I, I had, it was like a, a highlight reel of our life together. It's like those friend anniversaries on Facebook where it's like, here's your photo, here's your photo. Come together and make a little Facebook thing. And I begin to remember, I said, hold on a minute. You preach the gospel to me. You unpack the Bible to me. You encouraged me to go to Bible college. You had me around your home and you prayed for me. You came and invited me to prayer meetings where the power and presence of the Holy Spirit was so strong. You were the one who led me to the rivers of living water. And now I'm here, 20 years your junior, and you've left this behind. And I went, what's going on here? And the more that we go on and planting a church at Banyo, a random suburb, look it up on the maps, it's cool. As we plant this church, I keep having this thing happen to me where God keeps bringing to the forefront of my life people who either once knew Jesus and don't follow him anymore or people who just say it's just so out of my grid like what are you talking about and I've noticed that what's happening in many of the church and many people is that what's beginning to happen is that they simply had a sacred chapter in an overarching secular narrative they lived a life that was, that was Jesus-infused for a while, but something never sunk in. And sometimes the church needs to own that because we hurt people sometimes. Other times, it's been our spiritual formation that's just not been there. And I've noticed these three things, that distraction leads to disengagement. And disengagement leads to disillusionment. And once you're disillusioned with the things of God or the message of God, sometimes validly so, it's hard. Life's hard. So I want to start this morning by defining a word, secular. Secularism. Secularism is a state in which theism is seen as one of many viable choices. So it's no longer the objective truth. That's good for you, bro. You have that truth. Great. Bless you. That's your truth, though. For human fullness and satisfaction, and in which the transcendent feels less and less plausible. 
My friend here was a pastor 10 years ago. He's saying, I just, it just didn't work. My kids are sick. My wife cheated on me. These things happen. You can't tell me that God loves me and that it worked for me. There's a secularism and secularist narrative that is overarching and, and is beginning to take over things. And again, as the church, we can either go like this and put the cross up, or we can be the people of Jesus bringing salt and light to a world who needs him. Well, there's kind of two choices there. And I hope this morning what I want to incite in you is a fresh passion for the ways of Jesus and a more inclusive hunger for people. Christendom is dead. We've, we've, we've left that. It's not the norm anymore to take your kids. I've got one son who's just over two. I've got another um, little girl on the way. And as I talk to our peers, it's not normal anymore to just put your kids in the car, drop them off at Sunday school and then go to church. It's just, it just isn't what it is anymore. And as I reflected on the case of my friend, I, I noticed a few things. I noticed that the creeds had been preached over Christ sometimes. It was all about believing the creeds and little about Christ. I noticed that the sacraments had been removed from a spirit-empowered lens. The sacred moment that we had then was just, just, you just did it because you did it. I noticed that the mystery and the tension of the Christian faith, that the longer we journey in this thing, we need to move on in. I noticed that that had gone. Things that needed to be held in our hands and were a mystery, he got told was black and white. And this is the thing we need to get for this coming age, is that no longer can we speak in objective language. It doesn't meet people where they're at. It doesn't meet people where they're at. And I noticed that religion had taken precedent over relationship. It was about coming to church before about journeying with Jesus. So my question this morning is, how do we help those who no longer need a God, either past Christians or non-Christian, encounter the living God in their life. What's our part anymore? What do we do? And my answer is simply this this morning, and I want to draw this out. It's by cultivating the ways of Jesus. Our kind of mission, vision, whatever you want to call it, statement at our church is we want to be a church that meets the needs of the age by cultivating the ways of Jesus. And this morning I simply want to go there and I want to enable and empower you to see this world in terms of God still being on his throne, no matter what the secular narrative is. God is still moving, he's still doing things, and he wants to get you in there with him. Like, I want to jump when I tell you this. It gets me excited. Like, he's moving. Don't let anything take away from that. But let God draw you in and say, it's time to dance. Let's, let me lead you down a new path that still has me at the center, but gives you good news. So, three things I want to look at today and some practical illustrations on how we can interject the gospel into the culture. The first thing that we need to know is that God is always at work. He never ceases. He never sleeps. He's so fueled on caffeine that he doesn't need to stop. He doesn't need a break. That was a joke. Get my lame sense of humor. These next 15 minutes are going to go better for you. God is always at work. Look what Paul says, Romans 2.4. Do you not presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God is always moving forth in love and kindness. In a world that says they don't need him, there is the love of God that is meaning that God is always at work. He's moving. He's doing something. So what is the heart of God? 
It's that people would know him. It's that all would come to a saving knowledge of him. We read in Revelation that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. So that truth needs to stay there. What Paul's saying in Romans needs to be real. That he's leading people through his love to a knowledge of him. What am I meaning here? In other words, we make a huge mistake if we forget that people get saved one at a time as unique individuals. God is moving in culture. When you got saved, it's the same God who's drawing this world unto himself right now. He's doing the work still, and he's inviting you to be a part of it. And you know what this includes? This includes God working at our friends and our family who said they once knew him. Like, my whole life is just sitting around dinner tables, sharing sacred moments with people who said they once knew Jesus and they don't now. It's like this mantle over my life. And as I sit there, you go, God is still moving. They don't know it, but God is doing something in their life. He's reestablishing things. And I believe really strongly that those who will lead in the next movement are going to be people who re-engage with the local church and get back on with God. Because they're understanding our culture. They just need the Spirit of God to light them up. And He will. Like, please say amen to that. Like, Churches of Christ, come on, amen. He's going to do it. But we need ears to see and to hear. Which is funny, it gets back to that John 15, that we need to be abiding in the vine so that we know what the vine is thinking and listening, listening to God, saying, where are you moving? Because if I don't abide in the vine at the moment, I take the secular narrative and I let it crush me. And I go, oh, like, what am I doing? I'm a, I'm a, church, I'm a millennial church planner who spent like 35,000 years at Bible college earning $3 a week. Like, what am I doing? Am I an idiot? Like, yes, well, yes, I am. But separate to that point, am I an idiot for church planning? And you go, well, no. Because the more I seek and I sit at the Lord's feet, the best place to be, the more that he shows me and he gives me a vision for what he's doing. And it's just such good news. Like, honestly, if there was a hula hoop here, I'd get it out and hula hoop and sing and dance to you. And like, I'm a bad Christian, but like, seriously, this is joy-filled. God's moving. And we're going to see this unfold in the next 10 to 20 years like we wouldn't believe. Because God is raising up a generation again to sit at his feet and just listen before we speak. And that's very good news for the church in the West at the moment. So what we need to do is we need to see God's meta-narrative and see our place underneath it. And the best way to take the dividing walls down between God and culture is to take the roof off between us and God. Let the open heaven come down and speak to you. Pentecostal. No, biblical. Let God speak to you. He wants to invite you into something. Because there's a bigger story at play and there's more at, that needs to happen here. God is always at work. God is at work in your workplace. He's at work in your family. He's at work on your heart as well as those people's hearts around you. And he's stripping back what needs to be stripped back. And this generation will come to know Jesus. They will. It's happening. Second point. I love this point. Second point. Secular animosity preludes spiritual awakening. Has anyone been to the beach before? The tide goes in and it goes out. The more that secularism seeks to take over, the more that God's renewal will come. I love this. I spend time with people at our local uni, ACU, where Banyo is. 
um, where our church is, and I talk to millennials about this stuff, and they're just reaching the end of themselves. And I love it. It's like, I don't need to do any hard work. It used to be preach an exegetical sermon, speak to people, tell them where they go wrong. And now I just see God do it all. It's like, this is the easiest pastoring gig I've ever had. It's like, oh, they're like, what must I do to be saved? You're like, oh, let me tell you. Why? Because secular animosity preludes spiritual awakening. Go back into history. Go back into Stephen, Acts 7 or wherever it is. He gets persecuted, right? The church scatters and blows up. The more that culture says the no to us, the more that the ways of Jesus, but the true ways of Jesus, the love and the knowledge and the glory of him, bursts on forward. So secularism doesn't scare me. It excites me. Like, please, please push back on my Christian Christianese because I want to push back on that too. If I'm not connecting with you at a real-life level and I'm just giving you a whole lot of Christian ideals in that, like, push back on that. Really good news. Apostle um, Peter knew this. He writes, in 1 Peter, he writes to a church, the elect dispersion. Okay, they've been persecuted, now they've scattered. He says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Commentators argue about this day of visitation. It could be that Peter is actually speaking about in a funny way of saying, when they come to know you, when they come to know God, they're going to remember all the things that you've done. And are you going to be a Christian who preaches down at people and says, do this, act like this, be in this religion, don't drink, don't do this, blah, 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 whatever we put around it. But Peter's saying, just be full of love. Because the more you're full of love the more this thing's going to go well. So again, don't believe the lie that God is being pushed aside. As I said, I'm actually not a millennial. Like, I look young because I can't grow a beard. But I'm a, few, but I'm a few years actually outside of the millennial generation. And again, the more I talk to, the more they keep saying, they're crying out for the gospel. They just don't have Christianese language to put around it, but I love that. I love this scripture. Sorry, it's just, I've got, I've, got to, I've got to read this out to you. 1 Thessalonians 2, 5 to 8. Where is it? Chapter 2, 5 to 8. Here we go. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is a witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, no matter where your theology lands, no matter what you believe, inclusive, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. This secular culture wants the gospel, but they don't want it apart from love. Which reminds me of a scripture that a wise man said in 2 Timothy, that people are crying out for love that doesn't just appear as a form of godliness and deny the power. That's really what they're crying out for. Will we be a people who love, who speak the truth in and out of season, who have a a, a hope for the glory that's in us, but will we do so in a way that is love-filled, that is not just preaching down? Gentleness, love, joy, all these things become an incredibly attractive thing for those who don't yet know Jesus. 
And once they see you have their back, they'll give you their ears. And again, I just love this. This is why we're to keep making Christ so beautiful in the lives of people. Keep modelling his ways. Keep modelling his words. And then at the right time, give them his message. And once this beautiful thing comes to play, we'll see people come and know Jesus. The third thing about God that he's saying to us is that dead people are dead people. Yet God is a God of resurrection power. If we're dead, we're dead. If we're spiritually dead, we're spiritually dead. doesn't matter what the narrative of culture says. Ephesians 2, 4-5. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead. See, we journey on in this Christian faith and we forget that we didn't know anything about Jesus at one stage. If you had seen me 15 years ago, you would have... You would have been like, oh my gosh, well, you see me now and you probably still think that. But even more then, you would have been like, is this guy for real? Like, this is a wounded, insecure, young human. But God sees the streams of living water when we just see a desert. He sees it go forward. He sees the avenue of change go out. And God levels the playing field and says that I don't have any favoritism towards people. We were all sinful and we all fell short of the glory of God. Like read the first, I don't know, whole book of Romans and we get that picture. Yet he still loves us. Think of the story of the rich young man. He was helplessly enslaved to his money. Money was his God. Only a miracle of God's sovereign, incredible grace to draw his heart to him would have changed anything, right? It was a miracle. Yet he says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible in our current narrative is possible with God. That Jesus is coming back to get his church and the gates of hell won't prevail. So we can stand firm, not as religious zealots who push forward rules over relationship, but as people who just say, you know what? I just love you. And at the right time, I'm going to keep leading you to the cross. I'm going to keep taking you back to the gospel, which is the power of God under salvation. But for too long, we've been doing the gospel without love. For too long, we've been preaching down at people. And the coming generation doesn't want to listen to that. And again, we can either fight that or redeem that. This is that verse. Therefore, it's harder. It's no harder for God to save people today than it has been. I hear this time and time again, even from mentors that I love. They're like, it's just easier back in those days, still, you know. 70s, mate, we're just an easier time. Just an easier time to be a Christian. Just, you know, we had the Bible in schools. And, and yes, I believe that these things are beneficial for our educational systems. But it's, we've always needed Jesus. Like, do, do you see that? Like, strip everything else aside. We all need Jesus. We've all needed Jesus. It's only him. If, I was, if God was to take everyone out of this room right now and you sat face to face with Jesus, he's all that you need. When you get to heaven and he puts the highlight reel of your life up, you're going to realize that but the grace of God in my life, I am nothing. Like nothing. All we are is spiritual people in a physical suit. That's all we are. And all culture needs is a Christian, spirit-filled, gospel-centered, grace-anointed message of radical inclusivity and love. 
and then the things that we hate as Christians just fall off because God proceeds and goes and does the work. The same Spirit who raised Christ is the one who's going forth from the world and doing amazing things. Like, Does this excite you? Like, please, please, does this excite you? Like, this stuff needs to just blow us away, otherwise we will get trodden on. Okay, things won't go well. So this morning, um, as the band comes up, I, I did really well. Usually I go for like 50 minutes, but I, I really, I knew the kids were in, and I knew if my son was here, he'd be kicking chairs, so I've really tried to do this. But a verse that stood out to me this week in, in, in closing, and as I was praying, I had this dream um, the start of the week. You're like, oh. I had this dream that I dropped my son off in kids' church here at Kenmore. And I kind of, the, 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 the kids' worker took him and he was really good. And then about half an hour later, I was sitting in here and Pat was preaching. And all I could hear was this mighty scream. And I thought, oh no, Jonah has, my son Jonah has figured out that I'm not with him. And when I woke up, I really felt the Lord say to me to, to just encourage you guys, in this coming age, don't let that be you. Don't let it be you who wakes up in 10 years' time where there's persecution and goes, I have not been connected to the vine. I've just been doing this stuff devoid of Jesus. Because in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, we see that Christ says, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Come. That's our message to be radically inclusive in a world that doesn't yet know Jesus. So please, I would love to just finish. I'm useless. I would love to finish by just praying for you and just praying that God will give a special anointing to Kenmore, Church of Christ, to be a church that sees many, many, many people come to know Jesus who we would thought that culture is prophesying will never know him. Is that good? All right, let's pray. Lord, we just, we just love to sit at your feet. There's, there's nothing else to do but just behold you, Lord. And I really pray now that, Holy Spirit, that you would just anoint us, that there would be a special grace that you would give to us right now, Lord, to not rebel against culture, not to make the same arguments that they're making, not to fight fire with fire, but, Lord, to be a people who are radically generous, a people who are radically inclusive, who are so full of love, that people can't help but to want to know us. Because you are building your church, Lord, and the gates of Hades won't prevail. A culture against you won't prevail. But with this culture, Lord, as we know, presents an incredible, incredible opportunity for the gospel to go forward. But you're stripping back, Lord, those things which have become religion. And you don't desire religion, Lord. You desire love, mercy. So God... We're just humble. We just say, change our hearts, work on our hearts, open up doors in people's lives, in our family's life to see the true Jesus. Not the institutionalized Jesus, not the preacher Jesus, not the worship leader Jesus, not the middle class Western Christian Jesus, but the true Jesus. We want to know you, Lord, so we ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you to just fill us and descend upon us right now, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Heaven's going to be a party and we want many people there. So, Lord, in our time of worship now, deposit what needs to be deposited in our spirit and take anything else away that you need to take away. Amen. Amen.